Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. Hi, I'm Hamid and today's discussion is going to be on Alzheimer's disease. Before we talk about um, the causes of Alzheimer's disease, let's explore what Alzheimer's disease is and its definition. So Alzheimer's disease is a progressive disorder resulting in cognitive dysfunction due to generalized deterioration of the brain. And it results in uh, interference with um, person's occupational and social functioning. And it's highly prevalent in the age group of 85 years and older. In terms of this cognitive dysfunction, it can encompass a number of different qualities and characteristics. Obviously, the one that we're all familiar with is anterograde amnesia. So it's a loss of capacity to form new memories. It can also present with apraxia. So they can patients can't carry out motor activities despite having normal motor functions and uh, motor capacities. Agnosia can be another feature that uh, you may observe and it's when patients can't identify or recognize objects. Aphasia, so um, patients have uh, an inability to produce or comprehend speech and reduced capacity to, um, for executive functions to um, plan to carry out actions. In terms of the pathophysiology of it, um, there are two key proteins that we need to be familiar with. And these two key proteins are important um, as they uh, can deposit in specific regions of the brain to bring about sort of the characteristic um, findings in Alzheimer's disease. The first protein that I'll talk about is alpha-beta um, uh, peptide uh, aggregates. These aggregates then deposit in the nerves and bring about nerve, nerve destruction. It's not clear exactly how these aggregates come about, but it's thought to be possibly um, related to the altered metabolism of the precursor protein, amyloid precursor protein, or altered function of the proteases that bring about the met metabolism of APP, so amyloid um, precursor protein. So for example, if uh, APP is metabolized by alpha secretase, it forms a soluble fragment. But on the other hand, if it's metabolized by beta secretase, it then deposits the alpha-beta uh, alpha peptides, which once formed are highly prone to aggregation. Now, the second protein um, that's also important to be familiar with is um, uh, tau protein, which forms tangles, and that in itself can have a number of adverse effects. So tau is a microtubule protein, um, microtubule associated protein that's located in the axons of nerves. And metabolic alterations of tau protein can lead to decreased capacity for this protein to bind to microtubules. So that means that the microtubules have less stabilization and the aggregation of um, tau protein can uh, occur as a consequence as well. Now, the final point to bear in mind with the pathophysiology of Alzheimer's disease is an inflammatory response. Now, alpha-beta peptides deposits can trigger an, an inflammatory response and it's believed that this inflammatory response may help with the clearance of these deposits, perhaps in the short term, but it's also possibly resulting in, in uh, increased neurotoxicity and the release of inflammatory um, agents can also cause alterations in the metabolic functions of tau proteins leading to greater uh, tangle formation. And as I mentioned, inflammatory response, whilst in the short term may possibly helping in the removal of these um, deposits, can also result in oxidative uh, neuronal damage. So what are the signs and symptoms? Well, I've sort of alluded to that already at the start of this, um, this presentation, but as you can imagine, cognitive impairment is a key defining feature where patients present with progressive uh, memory loss. They have difficulty retaining and acquiring new information. And this then interferes with other cognitive um, cap capabilities. So deficits in language, as I've mentioned already, uh, executive function, motor planning, um, recognizing objects, and so forth. 
They can also have um, an additional psychiatric manifestation where these patients can present with depression, psychosis, agitation, and possibly aggression as well. And in advanced stages of Alzheimer's disease, some patients can present with extrapyramidal uh, dysfunction, not unlike Parkinson's disease. And how do we diagnose this condition? Well, Alzheimer's disease, just like Parkinson's, is a clinical diagnosis at this stage. Um, you can carry out a mini mental state examination to quantify the extent of memory impairment and perhaps track this memory impairment as the disease progresses. Having said that, the investigations that I'll talk about uh, shortly are there to rule out other causes of um, memory impairment and cognitive dysfunction. So what are some of the differential diagnoses that you need to consider? Well, obviously there's age-associated memory impairment, which can be normal in some circumstances. Depression-related cognitive impairment, when patients are depressed, their cognitive function and capacity to carry out executive functions may be impaired. Patients with a history of alcohol disease, uh, you probably need to consider alcohol-induced um, brain damage. Vitamin B12 deficiency and thiamine deficiency, which relates to, again, alcohol intake. Patients who have had stroke, thyroid dysfunction, particularly hypothyroidism, infections such as urinary tract infections, although infections are probably more of an acute consideration as opposed to patients who present with long-standing memory impairment. Other uh, points of consideration for your differential diagnosis would be um, patients with hearing and visual impairment. In those patients, um, if they can't hear or if they can't see properly, it might be difficult for them to, let's say, plan a motor skill or carry out a particular action. Other considerations, particularly in that elderly age group, is polypharmacy. These patients could be taking a number of medications such as benzodiazepines and anticholinergic agents, which can uh, either exacerbate uh, memory impairment, mild memory impairment, or induce cognitive dysfunction due to their um, sedative effects, for example. Now, in terms of investigations, let's break it down into the various key, um, key things that you need to do. So in terms of blood studies, there are no specific biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease, as I've alluded to already. So you need to look, uh, perform um, uh, thiamine studies to look at thiamine levels, B12 studies, and thyroid function tests. From an imaging point of view, um, imaging modalities such as CT and MRI may be uh, useful in detecting lesions that are not specific to Alzheimer's disease, but rather specific to other conditions, such as a past um, stroke or a presence of tumor. They can also help demonstrate a diffuse cortical atrophy, which may be either a part of the normal um, part of a neuronal aging, or it could be as a consequence of Alzheimer's disease, but it's not pathognomic of this condition. Lumbar function can uh, is not routinely performed, but may be considered to rule out normal pressure hydrocephalus or CNS infections such as neurosyphilis, which isn't very common in developed countries, but might be uh, a consideration in developing uh, uh, parts of the world. Now, finally, when it comes to treatment, you can uh, break it down into pharmacological and non-pharmacological approaches. From a pharmacological point of view, um, the agents that are prescribed have not been shown to reverse or um, significantly alter the progression of memory imp impairment and Alzheimer's disease. They have been shown to demonstrate somewhat the cognitive impairment, but it's not, it's not a cure. The agent that I'm referring to in this case is um, anticholinesterase anti inhibitors, which are uh, designed to um, help supplement um, acetylcholine within the brain due to um, loss of um, cholinergic neurons within the neuronal system. So agents uh, that you might have come across uh, include donapazil, rivastigmine, and glantamine. Other agents used in the management of um, Parkinson's disease, uh, sorry, Alzheimer's disease, include momentum, which is an NMDA receptor antagonist, and it 
has been shown to have significant benefits in later stages of Alzheimer's disease, so when a patient's mental state examination is less than 17. It's believed that by giving this agent, you're decreasing the accumulation of calcium in neurons and therefore slow nerve damage. Symptomatic management can also be considered, so SSROs if patients have depression, antipsychotics, uh, particularly low-dose neuroleptic uh, medications to help with um, agitation and aggression if, if patients are presenting in that nature. Finally, in terms of non-pharmacological approaches, um, there are a number of um, things that, uh, approaches that you, you can utilize to manage these patients. For example, redirection and reorientation may be useful, particularly if the patient has moved into a nursing home environment or they're quite confused uh, about where they are. And doing that frequently might help the patient get at ease. Also identifying trigger factors, so pain, environment, for example, when it's really noisy, particularly for hospital environments, are things that you need to consider and and trying to mitigate those may help alleviate some of the um, acute symptoms especially. So that's it for our discussion about Alzheimer's disease. If you guys have any questions or concerns, um, please uh, visit our website, get in contact with us, um, follow us on Facebook and YouTube. We're always happy to hear back from you guys. Thank you. Bye. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our core editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.